hundreds of stories, documents, photos and videos published by people from all over Europe. This is My History, a collaborative project of the European Parliament, where history and the lives of European citizens coincide. Ein amerikanischer Tiefflieger, dem ich in die Augen gucken konnte. A low-flying American plane. I could see the pilot's eyes. I was on my way home from the village with a loaf of bread under my arm. This is Georg. You couldn't hear them as they approached. Suddenly I saw the plane flying close to the ground. I leapt into the ditch as the machine gun round started raining down around me. Georg grew up during the Second World War in the German border town of Aachen. I was nine years old. They shot at children and at women in the fields. That plane nearly managed to set me free from National Socialism, completely. But I'm glad they didn't succeed, as otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here today. We're sitting in a magnificent room with a vaulted ceiling on the ground floor of the town hall in Aachen. Through the window, we can see the city's centuries-old cathedral soaring skywards. Sitting in front of us is a tall, intelligent man in his 80s. He's just shown us round the building, which he knows like the back of his hand. And we're now sitting in comfortable white armchairs in a corner of the room, enjoying some coffee. He's talking about his childhood in the war, its immediate aftermath, and how he decided to commit to the cause of European integration. I was born in 1936. It was still peacetime, and that year Adolf Hitler was at the height of his power, the Berlin Olympics, and no one could have guessed what would happen next. I was born in the city centre, in a small hospital, where all the famous people from Aachen came into the world. I lived here in Kramerstrasse, right next to the town hall. When the war started, we were living in a house which belonged to my grandparents, an old, half-timbered villa in the south of the city, opposite the now-defunct South Station, on the line which goes to Paris. The railway line is one of the main access routes to the city, which makes it a strategic target for the enemy. The old half-timbered villa to the south of the city is where Georg also lived through the bombardment by the British Army. The worst attack I lived through as a child was on the 11th of April 1944. That was when the English came along this railway line, 200 yards from us. The line goes right through the city and separates the old city of Aachen from the town of Burtschard. They bombed this whole area. In that one night, 1,550 people, women, children, old people, died in Aachen which was a lot smaller in those days. We saw the neighbouring villa completely destroyed by a direct hit. The first miracle was that we survived that at all. When the war is over, Germany is in the hands of the Allies. This is where I have a different view of the idea of liberation. It was Eisenhower who said, we haven't liberated you, we've liberated the Netherlands, France, Belgium, but we've conquered Germany, defeated her, and that was how we saw it. 
Und äh, die Besatzungszeit war, äh, weiß Gott, keine einfache Zeit. Gott weiß, die Okkupation war nicht eine einfache Zeit. Das war, als wir kalt und hungrig waren. Im Winter, in Winter wir lebten in was hat ein Office belonging to einem meiner Onkels. It was 15 or 16 degrees below zero. The windows were 12 feet high. They had cellophane paper over them, but there was no glass. And there was nothing to burn for heating. We had to use the coal slurry which they distributed. To this day, I have no idea how my mother managed to get the stove working with this, but she did. We boiled water on it, which we used to fill bottles. We put those bottles on our laps and laid tiles on the stove to put our feet on those. We wore all the clothes we possessed. That's how we survived that winter. So have we winter. Reconstruction begins in Germany. The huge piles of rubble, which Georg and his friends had played on, disappear. The German economy soon starts to make huge strides. Georg becomes interested in the political changes of the time. After defeats in two world wars and the unthinkable crimes of the Nazis, Germany can have no future as an independent country in his eyes. It can only be rebuilt as part of a united Europe. This view is reinforced by one of his teachers. We had a class teacher at school, Dr. Ulrich, from Saxony, who spoke with a strong Saxon accent, like Walter Ulbricht. He taught us English and French. Of course, his French, like his English, had a peculiar accent. He worked for the Europa Union. He did everything with us. He got us really interested in Europe, although for me, that wasn't necessary. As a teenager, I was completely enchanted by the idea. It was the only chance for us. We went along the border, taking this green and white flag of the European movement to Wals, Lichtenbusch and Köpfchen. We raised the border, crossing barriers, which didn't go down too well on the other side. But we had the press with us, and we caused quite a commotion. There were maybe 100 or 150 of us. We were a forerunner of today's Fridays for the Future. The participants were mainly children, teenagers and school pupils. It was essentially a pupils' demo for Europe. Dr. Ulrich sends his pupils off. Their task is to collect signatures for a petition calling for the unification of Europe. Georg gets the most signatures and wins a prize. He can attend the award ceremony for the Charlemagne Prize. The prestigious prize had recently been created to promote a united Europe. This was an incredible experience for a boy of his age. The Charlemagne Prize of the city of Aachen was awarded to Italian Prime Minister Alcide de Gasperi. The prize, which is awarded every year for special deeds in the service of European unification, was given to Mr. de Gasperi in the historic Kaisersaal. After the ceremony, de Gasperi and his wife wrote in the Golden Book of the city of Aachen. Yes, of course. I'll never forget that. Just imagine being invited to that kind of event at the age of just 16. Georg is present in 1952, but also the following year, when Jean Monnet wins the prize. The award of the Charlemagne Prize to the Frenchman makes a great impression on him. Suddenly, there stands before him the man who is trying to ensure that war between the former arch-enemies, France and Germany, will be unthinkable forevermore. 
Georg understands this only too well. The European Coal and Steel Community, the ECSC, was the first step, the first stone that was laid. Never again could there be a war between France and Germany. It was the start of a period of peace, one which I cannot imagine ever coming to an end in Europe. The ECSC, which deprived France and Germany of their sovereignty over iron and steel, was tough, an unprecedented act in the name of peace. From that point on, Georg knows he will dedicate his life to the fight for freedom and democracy in a united Europe. As the years pass, Georg keeps a close eye on the progress of the Charlemagne Prize. The high point of his close relationship with the prize comes in 1999, when he's invited to sit on its board of directors. The recipient at his first award ceremony as a member of the board is Bill Clinton. Clinton war ein Traum. Clinton was a dream. Die Frau. Women of every age and background pretty much idolized Clinton. You can't imagine it if you weren't there. Once Georg starts talking about the prize winners and dignitaries he's met, there's no stopping him. His eyes light up when he recalls encounters with princes, presidents and popes. My wife and I were sitting in the front row. They arranged that specially for us. And then the Pope was brought in in a wheelchair and he all but ran over our feet. And I have to say, in all honesty, that this man, who, deeply marked by life, was already having trouble sitting upright in his chair, had the kind of aura that you very seldom see. Und äh, ich habe natürlich mit vielen, vielen äh, Gästen hier. And I've talked to a lot of guests here, of course, äh, and to former Charlemagne Prize winners. Und äh, es sind, es sind äh, sehr, sehr oft ist äh, Juan Carlos hier gewesen. Juan Carlos was here many times with his wife Sophia, an impressive woman. I have very fond memories of her. And now I regularly look after their son Felipe, who comes to almost every award ceremony. Der fast zu jeder Verleihung kommt, dann fahre ich also nach Gallenkirchen, wo der. But it's Brigitte Macron that he admires the most. She's an impressive woman. She was so charming when she was talking to people. And then she happily sauntered through the city to do some shopping. I couldn't keep up with her. She happily set off through the city and went shopping, as if it was the most natural thing in the world. It was like a dream. That couple is a merveille. Georg enjoys looking back over his eventful career, but he's not yet thinking of calling it a day. On the contrary, he's working hard on the election of the next prize winner and the future of the Charlemagne Prize. One thing is certain, whoever is the next recipient of the prize, whoever is invited to his beloved city, and whatever anecdotes come to be added to his rich collection, it will not be easy stopping Georg. He will continue to tell his stories and stand by his values. In his own way, he's continuing to contribute to the never-ending process of integration in the European Union. As the conversation in the town hall in Aachen comes to a close, Georg is particularly keen to read as an extract from one of his favourite texts. The eulogy for Charlemagne Prize winner Salvador de Madariaga, written by Hermann Heusch, one of the founders of the prize. Heusch is quoting from Madariaga's Portrait of Europe. 
Hier dröhnt das Gelächter eines Rabelais. Hier leuchtet das Lächeln eines Erasmus. Hier resounds the laughter of a Rabelais. Hier gleams the smile of Erasmus. Hier flashes the wit of a Voltaire. Like stars in Europe's intellectual firmament stand the fiery eyes of Dante, the clear eyes of Shakespeare, the cheerful eyes of Goethe and the tormented eyes of Dostoevsky. The visage of Gioconda smiles eternally at us. For all of Europe did Michelangelo cause the forms of Moses and David to emerge out of the marble, and the Bach fugue soars upward in mathematically controlled harmony. In Europe, Hamlet broods about the mystery of his inactivity, and Faust tries to escape the tormenting brooding through action. In Europe, Don Juan seeks in every woman he encounters, the one woman whom he never finds. And Don Quixote races through a European country, lance at the ready, in order to wrest a higher existence from reality. But this Europe, where Newton and Leibniz measured the infinitely small and the infinitely large, where our cathedrals, in Alfred de Musset's words, kneel praying in their stony garments, where the silvery ribbon of rivers connects the cities, which the work of time chisels into the crystal of space, this Europe must first come into being. Ströme aneinanderreit, die die Arbeit der Zeit in das Kristall des Raumes meißelt. Dies Europa muss erst entstehen. This was My History, a project of the European Parliament in collaboration with citizens from all over Europe. If you're interested in more podcasts from the European Parliament, then look online for Europal Audio or go to the portal of My House of European History.